everyone. It is very nice to have you here tonight. Uh, Y'all, we don't have a lot of time. Quick. Quick, there's no time, Marty. So, everybody, guess what we're doing right now? Well, here's the answer. Uh, we are currently re-recording some chapters here for the end of... The Percy Jackson Book 2. Uh, Percy Jackson and the Olympians Book 2. This is the Sea of Monsters. Um, and I'm going to give you a tiny bit of a, uh, a review. And then we're just going to launch right in because I'm really trying to cover as much ground as possible tonight so we can get into Book 4 as quickly as possible. So, a bit of review. Percy and the gang have just escaped from our boy, not really our boy, uh, Luke. Luke and his uh, sort of hellish cruise ship, the Princess Andromeda, uh, which has been cruising around picking up monsters, an army to aid in the rise of Kronos. And uh, after a brief battle there, um, Percy and the gang managed to escape with the help of some Pegasus that some Pegasi that they find there, um, but also and really mostly. Um, the uh, newly returned Chiron and his Floridian relatives. Uh, Chiron has got apparently a bunch of other centaurs in the territory. Uh, they are a wild and rowdy bunch, and they are—they—they—they uh, they, they, they are a massive help. Uh, so, Percy and the gang ride on out of there. But this is. I mean, this is not good news. Luke has a plan. Kronos is rising. He is going to destroy Mount Olympus and Western civilization with it if the party does not stop him. But now we know one very important fact here at the very end. Kronos is Chiron's father which is why he was sort of suspect in the whole uh, situation with the tree. Um, but hopefully that won't matter anymore. Hopefully that won't matter very soon because they have got the fleece and they are headed home. And that is my review. Lisa says, hello. And hello to you, Lisa. And also, Liam. Hi, Liam. Thank you for listening. I hope you're doing well. Liam, I have a question for you, Liam. And I'll let Lisa let me know what the answer is. But Liam, I would like to know, what is your favorite between Harry Potter and Percy Jackson? Do you have a favorite? Which one do you like the most? I hope you're having a great night, and I, I look forward to hearing what your answer is. For all of the rest of you who have joined us here today, thank you very, very much. Uh, Ohms says Sam equals true, hem, true senpai. Um, <laughs> true him. Uh, Gwen says, OMG, took my phone to the bathroom, but not the speaker. Record shower thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> or records shower thoughts. Indeed. Y'all, thank you a ton for joining me here today. It is time for us to embark on, yet again, another adventure. You didn't see it coming, did you? Well, it's here now. So, I hope you all enjoy uh, the final chapters, the grand finale of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, book two, The Sea of Monsters. He likes Harry Potter best? Excellent. Liam, I think I think you and I share a favorite. I like Percy Jackson a lot, but I love Harry Potter. Thanks for listening, bud. Have a good night.
Chapter 19 The Chariot Race Ends with a Bang We arrived in Long Island just after Clarice, thanks to the centaur's travel powers. I rode on Chiron's back, but we didn't talk much, especially not about Kronos. I knew it had been difficult for Chiron to tell me. I didn't want to push him with even more questions. I mean, I've met plenty of embarrassing parents, but Kronos, the evil titan lord who wanted to destroy Western civilization? Not the kind of dad you wanted to invite for school career day. When we got to camp, the centaurs were anxious to meet Dionysus. They'd heard he threw some really wild parties, but they were disappointed. The wine god was in no mood to celebrate as the whole camp gathered at the top of Half-Blood Hill. The camp had been through a lot. It was a hard two weeks. The arts and crafts cabin had burned to the ground from an attack by a Draco Ionius, which, as near as I could figure, was Latin for really big lizard with breath that blows stuff up. The big house's rooms were overflowing with wounded. The kids in the Apollo cabin, who were the best healers, had been working overtime performing first aid. Everybody looked weary and battered as we crowded around Talia's tree. The moment Clarice draped the golden fleece over the lowest bough, the moonlight seemed to brighten, turning from gray to liquid silver. A cool breeze rustled in the branches and rippled through the grass, all the way into the valley. Everything came into sharper focus. The glow of the fireflies down in the woods, the smell of the strawberry fields, the sounds of the waves on the beach. Gradually, the needles in the pine tree started turning from brown to green. Everybody cheered. It was happening slowly, but there could be no doubt. The fleece's magic was seeping into the tree, filling it with new power and expelling the poison. Chiron ordered a 24-7 guard on duty on the hilltop, at least until he could find an appropriate monster to protect from the fleece. At least until he could find an appropriate monster to protect the fleece. He said he'd placed an ad in Olympus Weekly right away. In the meantime, Clarice was holding on to her cabinmate's shoulders down in the amphitheater. In the meantime, Clarice was carried on her cabinmate's shoulders down to the amphitheater, where she was honored with a laurel wreath and a lot of celebrating around the campfire. Nobody gave Annabeth or me a second look. It was as if we had never left. In a way, I guess it was the best thank you anyone could give us, because if they admitted we'd snuck out of camp to do the quest, they'd have to expel us. And really, I didn't want any more attention. It felt good to just be one of the campers for once. Later that night, as we were roasting s'mores and listening to the Stoll brothers tell us a ghost story about an evil king who was eaten alive by demonic breakfast pastries, Clarice shoved me from behind and whispered in my ear, Just because you were cool one time, Jackson, doesn't mean you're off the hook with Ares. I'm still waiting for the right opportunity to pulverize you. I gave her a grudging smile. What? she demanded. Nothing, I said. It's just good to be home. The next morning, after the pony parties, the pony parties, 
The next morning, after the party ponies headed back to Florida, Chiron made a surprise announcement. The chariot races would go ahead as scheduled. We'd all figured they were history now that Tantalus was gone, but completing them did feel like the right thing to do. Especially now that Chiron was back and the camp was safe. Tyson wasn't too keen on the idea of getting back in a chariot after his first experience, but he was happy to let me team up with Annabeth. I would drive, Annabeth would defend, and Tyson would act as our pit crew. While I worked with the horses, Tyson fixed up a... While I fixed with... Well, I fixed up the horses. They're busted, these busted horses. While I worked with the horses, Tyson fixed up Athena's chariot and added a whole bunch of special modifications. We spent the next two days training like crazy. Annabeth and I agreed that if we won, the prize of no chores for the rest of the month would be split between our two cabins. Since Athena had more campers, they would get most of the time off, which was fine by me. I didn't care about the prize. I just wanted to win. The night before the race, I stayed at the tables. The night before the race, I stayed late at the stables. I was talking to our horses, giving them one final brushing, when somebody right behind me said, Fine animals. I wish I'd thought of them. A middle-aged guy in a postal carrier outfit was leaning against the stable door. He was slim, with curly black hair underneath his white pith helmet, and he had a mailbag slung over his shoulder. Hermes? I stammered. Hello, Percy. Didn't recognize me without my jogging clothes? Uh, I wasn't sure whether I was supposed to kneel or buy stamps from him or what. Then it occurred to me why he must be here. Oh, listen, Lord Hermes, uh, about Luke. The god arched his eyebrows. Uh, we saw him all right, I said, but... You weren't able to talk sense into him. Well, we sort of tried to kill each other in a duel to the death. I see. You tried the diplomatic approach. I'm really sorry. I mean, you gave us those awesome gifts and everything, and I, I, I know you wanted Luke to come back, but... He's turned bad. Really bad. He, he said he feels like you abandoned him. I waited for Hermes to get angry. I figured he'd turn me into a hamster or something, and I did not want to spend any more time as a rodent. Instead, he just sighed. <sighs> Do you ever feel like your father abandoned you, Percy? Oh, man. I wanted to say only a few hundred times a day. I hadn't spoken to Poseidon since last summer. I'd never been to his underwater palace. And then there's the whole thing with Tyson. No warning, no explanation, just <clears throat> got a brother. You'd think that deserved a little heads-up phone call or something. The more I thought about it, the angrier I got. I realized I did want recognition for the quest I'd completed, but not from the other campers. I wanted my dad to say something. To notice me. Hermes readjusted his mailbag on his shoulder. Percy, the hardest part about being a god is that you must often act indirectly. Especially when it comes down to your old children. If we were to intervene every time our children had a problem, well, that would only create more problems. And more resentment. But I believe if you give it some thought, you will see Poseidon has really been paying attention to you. He's answered your prayers. I can only hope that someday, Luke may realize the same thing about me. Whether you feel like you succeeded or not, you reminded Luke who he was. You spoke to him. 
I tried to kill him. Hermes shrugged. Families are messy. Immortal families are eternally messy. Sometimes the best we can do is remind each other that we're related, for better or worse. And to try to keep the maiming and killing to a minimum. It didn't sound like a recipe for a perfect family. Then again, as I thought about my quest, I realized maybe Hermes was right. Poseidon had sent the Hippocampi to help us. He'd given me powers over the sea I had never known about before. And there was Tyson. Had Poseidon brought us together on purpose? How many times had Tyson saved my life this summer? In the distance, the conch horn sounded, signaling curfew. You should get to bed, Hermes said. I've helped to get through quite enough trouble this summer already. Oh, excuse me. I've helped to get into quite enough trouble already this summer. I really only came to make this delivery. A delivery? I am the messenger of the gods, Percy. He took an electronic signature pad from his mailbag and handed it to me. Sign here, please. I picked up the stylus before realizing it was entwined with a pair of tiny green snakes. Ah! I dropped the pad. Ouch, said George. Really, Percy? Martha scolded. Would you want to be dropped on the floor of a horse stable? Oh, sorry. I really did not like touching snakes, but I picked up the pad and the stylus again. Martha and George wriggled under my fingers, forming a kind of pencil grip, like the ones my special ed teacher made me use in second grade. Did you bring me a rat? George asked. Mm, no, I said. Uh, we didn't find any. What about a guinea pig? George, Martha chided. Don't tease the boy. I signed my name and then gave the pad back to Hermes. In exchange, he handed me a sea-blue envelope. My fingers trembled. Even before I opened it, I could tell it was from my father. I could sense his power in the cool blue paper, as if the envelope itself had been folded out of an ocean wave. Good luck tomorrow, Hermes said. Fine team of horses you got there, though you'll excuse me if I root for the Hermes cabin. And don't be too, oh, and don't be too discouraged when you read it, dear, Martha told me. He does have your interests at heart. What do you mean? I asked. Don't mind her, George said. And next time, remember, snakes work for tips. Enough, you two, Hermes said. Goodbye, Percy. For now. Small white wings sprouted from his pith helmet. He began to glow, and I knew enough about the gods to avert my eyes before he revealed. Before he revealed. And I knew enough. Ooh, I know, baby. And I knew enough about the gods to avert my eyes before he revealed his true divine form. With a brilliant white flash, he was gone. And I was alone with the horses. I stared at the blue envelope in my hands. It was addressed in strong but elegant handwriting that I'd seen once before, on a package Poseidon had sent me last summer. Percy Jackson, care of Camp Half-Blood, Farm Road 3.141, Long Island, New York, 11954. 
an actual letter from my father. Maybe he'd tell me I'd done a good job getting the fleece. He'd explained about Tyson. Oh, he'd explain about Tyson or apologize for not talking to me sooner. There were so many things I wanted that letter to say. I opened the envelope and unfolded the paper. Two simple words were printed in the middle of the page. Brace yourself. I mean, he goes to the trouble of writing a letter and he writes two words? Wait, hold on. Oops. I goofed it up. I'm, I'm goofing this up bad. But hey, I'm trying to do like 25,000 words tonight. So we'll see. It's fine. It's fine. The next morning, everyone was buzzing about chariot races, though they kept glancing nervously toward the sky like they expected to see some Stymphalian birds gathering. None did. It was a beautiful summer day with blue sky and plenty of sunshine. The camp had started to look the way that it should. The meadows were green and lush. The white columns gleamed on the Greek buildings. Dryads played happily in the woods. And I was miserable. I'd been lying awake all night thinking about Poseidon's warning. Brace yourself. I mean, he goes through the trouble of writing a letter and he writes two words? Martha the Snake had told me not to feel disappointed. Maybe Poseidon had a reason for being so vague. Maybe he didn't know exactly what he was warning me about, but he sensed something big was about to happen. Something that could completely knock me off my feet unless I was prepared. It was hard, but I tried to turn my thoughts to the race. As Annabeth and I drove onto the track, I couldn't help admiring the work Tyson had done on the Athena chariot. The carriage gleamed with bronze reinforcements. The wheels were realigned with magical suspension, so we glided along with hardly a bump. The rigging for the horses was so perfectly balanced, the team turned at the slightest tug of the reins. Tyson also made us two javelins, each with three buttons on the shaft. The first button primed the javelin to explode on impact, releasing razor wire that would tangle and shred an opponent's wheels. The second button produced a blunt, but still very painful, bronze spearhead designed to knock a driver off of his carriage. The third button brought up a grappling hook that could be used to lock onto an enemy's chariot or push it away. I figured we were in pretty good shape for the race, but Tyson warned me to be careful. The other chariot teams had plenty of tricks up their togas. Here, he said, just before the race began. He handed me a wristwatch. There wasn't anything special about it, just a white and silver clock face, a black leather strap, but as soon as I saw it, I realized this is what I'd seen him tinkering with all summer. I didn't usually like to wear watches, who cared what time it was, but I couldn't say no to Tyson. Thanks, man. I put it on and found that it was surprisingly light and comfortable. I could hardly tell that I was wearing it. Mmm didn't finish in time for the trip, Tyson mumbled. Sorry. Mm, uh, mm, sorry. Hey, man, it's no big deal. If you need protection in the race, he advised, mm, hit the button. 
okay. I didn't see how keeping time was going to help me a whole lot, but I was touched that Tyson was concerned. I promised him I'd remember the watch. And, uh, hey, Tyson? He looked at me. I wanted to say... Well... I tried to figure out how to apologize for being embarrassed about him before the quest. For telling everyone he wasn't my real brother. It wasn't easy to find the words. I know what you will tell me. Hmm. Tyson said, looking ashamed. Hmm. Poseidon hmm, did care for me, after all. Oh, uh, well? He sent you to help me. Hmm. Just what I asked for. I blinked. You asked Poseidon for me? For... Hmm. A friend, Tyson said, twisting his shirt in his hands. Hmm. Young Cyclopes grow up alone on the streets. Hmm. Learn to make things out of scraps. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Learn to survive. But that's so cruel. He shook his head earnestly. Makes us appreciate blessings, not be greedy and mean and fat like Polyphemus. Hmm. But I got scared. Monsters. Chased me so much. Hmm. Clawed at me sometimes. Hmm. The scars on your back? A tear welled in his eyes. Sphinx. Hmm. On 72nd Street. Hmm. Big bully. I prayed to Daddy for help. Hmm. Soon the people at Merriweather found me. Met you. Hmm. Hmm. Biggest blessing ever. Sorry, I said. Poseidon was mean. Hmm. He sent me a brother. I stared at the watch that Tyson had made me. Percy? Annabeth called. Come on. Chiron was at the starting line, ready to blow the conch. Tyson? I said. Go. Hmm. <laughs> Tyson said. You will win. I... Yeah. Okay, big guy. We'll win this one for you. I climbed on board the chariot and got into position just as Chiron blew the starting signal. The horses knew what to do. We shot down the track so fast I would have fallen out if my arms hadn't been wrapped around the leather reins. Annabeth held on close to the rail. The wheels glided beautifully. We took the first turn a full chariot length ahead of Clarice, who was busy trying to fight off a javelin attack from the Stoll brothers in the Hermes chariot. We've got him! I yelled, but I spoke too soon. Incoming! Annabeth yelled. She threw her first javelin in grappling hook mode, knocking away a lead-weighted net that would have entangled us both. Apollo's chariot came up onto our flank. Before Annabeth could rearm herself, the Apollo warrior threw a javelin into our right wheel. The javelin shattered, but not before snapping some of our spokes. Our chariot lurched and wobbled. I was sure the wheel would collapse altogether, but somehow we kept going. I urged the horses to come up to speed. We were now neck and neck with Apollo. Hephaestus was coming up close from behind. Ares and Hermes were falling behind, riding side by side as Clarice went sword on javelin with Connor Stoll. If we took one more hit to our wheel, I knew we would capsize. Hey, you're mine, said the driver from Apollo. 
He was a first-year camper. I didn't remember his name, but he sure was confident. Yeah, right, Annabeth yelled back. She picked up her second javelin, a real risk considering we still had a full lap to go, and threw it at the Apollo driver. Her aim was perfect. The javelin grew a heavy spear point just as it caught the driver in the chest, knocking him against his teammate and sending them both toppling out of their chariot in a backward somersault. The horses felt the reins go slack and went crazy, riding straight for the crowd. Campers scrambled for cover as the horses leapt to the corner of the bleachers and the golden chariot flipped over. The horses galloped back toward their stable, dragging the upside-down chariot behind them. I held onto our own chariot. I tried to hold it together through the second turn despite the groaning of the right wheel. We passed the starting line and thundered into our final lap. The axle creaked and moaned. The wobbling wheel was making us lose speed as though the horses were responding to my every The wobbling wheel was making us lose speed even though the horses were responding to my every command running like a well-oiled machine. The Hephaestus team was still gaining. Beckendorf grinned as he pressed a button on his command console. Steel cables shot out of the front of his mechanical horses, wrapping around our back rail. Our chariot shuddered as Beckendorf's winch system started working, pulling us backward while Beckendorf pulled himself forward. Annabeth cursed and drew her knife. She hacked at the cables, but they were too thick. I can't cut them, she yelled. The Hephaestus chariot was now dangerously close, their horses about to trample us underfoot. Switch with me, I told Annabeth. Take the reins. But... Trust me! I pulled myself toward the back, and she pulled herself to the front and grabbed the reins. I turned, trying to keep my footing, an uncapped riptide. I slashed down, and the cables snapped like kite string. We lurched forward, but Beckendorf's driver just swung his chariot around to our left and pulled up in front of us. Beckendorf drew his sword. He slashed at Annabeth, and I parried the shield away. We were coming up to our last turn. We would never make it. I needed to disable the Hephaestus chariot and get it out of the way, but I had to protect Annabeth, too. Just because Beckendorf was a nice guy didn't mean he wouldn't send us both to the infirmary if we let our guard down. We were neck and neck now, Clarice coming up from behind, making up for lost time. You see you, Percy! Beckendorf yelled. He is a little parting gift! He threw a leather pouch into our chariot. It stuck to the floor immediately and began billowing green smoke. Greek fire, Annabeth yelled. I cursed. I knew stories about what Greek fire could do. I figured we had maybe ten seconds before it exploded. Get rid of it, Annabeth shouted, but I couldn't. Hephaestus's chariot was still alongside, waiting until the last second to make sure that their little present blew up. Beckendorf was keeping me busy with his sword. If I let my guard down long enough to deal with the Greek fire, Annabeth would get sliced and we'd crash anyway. I tried to kick the leather pouch away with my foot, but I couldn't. It was stuck fast. Then I remembered the watch. I didn't know how it could help, but I managed to punch the stopwatch button. Instantly, the watch changed. It expanded, the metal rim spiraling outward like an old-fashioned camera shutter, a leather strap wrapping around my forearm until I was holding a round war shield, four feet wide, the inside soft leather, the outside polished bronze, engraved with designs I didn't have time to examine. All I knew, Tyson had come through. I raised the shield and Beckendorf's sword clanged against it. His blade shattered. What? He shouted. How? He didn't have time to say much more because I knocked him into the dirt with my new shield and sent him flying out of his chariot. 
I was about to use Riptide to slash it. You know what? I butchered that last sentence so hard. I'm going to take that one one more time. He didn't have time to say anything more because I knocked him in the chest with my new shield and sent him flying out of his chariot, tumbling into the dirt. I was about to use Riptide to slash at the driver when Annabeth said, Percy! The Greek fire was shooting sparks. I dodged the tip of my sword underneath the leather pouch and flipped it up like a spatula. The firebomb dislodged and flew into the Hephaestus chariot at the driver's feet. He yelped. A split second later, the driver made the right choice. He dove out of the chariot, which careened away and exploded in green flames. The metal horses seemed to short-circuit. They turned and dragged the burning wreckage back toward Clarice and the Stoll brothers, who had to swerve to avoid it. Annabeth pulled the reins for the last turn. I held on, sure that we would capsize, but somehow she brought us through and spurred the horses across the finish line. The crowd roared. Once the chariot stopped, our friends mobbed us. They started chanting our names, but Annabeth yelled over the noise, Hold up. Listen, it wasn't just us. The crowd didn't want to be quiet, but Annabeth made herself heard. We couldn't have done it without somebody else. We couldn't have won this race or gotten the fleece or saved Grover or anything. We owe our lives to Tyson. Percy's brother, I yed. I, I yed. I said, loud enough for everybody to hear. Tyson, my baby brother. Tyson blushed. The crowd cheered. Annabeth planted a kiss on my cheek. The roaring got a lot louder after that. The entire Athena cabin lifted me up and Annabeth and Tyson to their shoulders. Oh, the entire Athena cabin lifted me and Annabeth and Tyson to their shoulders and carried us toward the winner's platform, where Chiron was waiting to bestow the laurel wreaths. So, y'all, thank you so much for joining me here tonight. My name is Sam, this is Sidecar Stories, and we are all finished up with Chapter 19. We're rounding the end. We're rounding the end. This is a re-record, for those of you who don't know. I recorded this one originally on vacation for the original stream of this one, and so now I'm taking an opportunity to re-record. So welcome from the future, but not too far in the future. If you're wondering what's going on, you can definitely head to the Discord. There will be a link for that in the description of this episode. But I can just give you a quick rundown of what we're up to right now. Um, as we proceed forward into the future, you will find that we are about to start on book four. Uh, on Tuesdays, we are reading uh, Murder on the Orient Express for Vintage Sidecar. And on Wednesdays, we are doing Spout Lore Sessions. We are world building for the Realm of Recidus, and that is going quite well. Y'all, if you like world building, if you want to know what it's like to say, okay, I'm starting with nothing, but I want to create a magical world like they did for Harry Potter, like they did for Percy Jackson. If you want to know what that's like from the ground up, come join us on Wednesdays. Um, and the fun part is, after that, you're going to have a chance to help me tell that story as we have done in the past. You are all going to get a chance to to really live there. So definitely come check that out. I would certainly encourage you to hang out on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, whatever you've got time for. And of course, if you are wanting to find these episodes, you can find them on Spotify or whatever your favorite podcatcher is. Um, just look for Flying Sidecar for Harry Potter, Percy Jackson. I'm getting those uploaded uh, as I've got them edited. 
It's taking a while, but I'm making steady progress. Uh, and then, of course, we have got uh, uh, Percy Jackson on the same. And then we've got Vintage Sidecar, and Side Cannons will be its own coming soon. Now, finally, it'll let me get back to the, the library here. And I want to say thank you very, very much to Memnite. I appreciate it. Uh, swinging in with the bits. Thank you a ton. Uh, it is great to have you here. You missed a hype train earlier today, I believe. Uh, but it is good to have you in here. Um, you're catching us for a very weird stream. Uh, as I mentioned, we're doing some catching up. And right now, we've just got one more chapter I'm going to try to read for tonight. I think I can pull it off because I don't believe I've heard Mama Cass come home yet. Something I will warn you all about. Two things. No beans tonight, uh, because uh, Mama Cass is not in, but more importantly, I think it's most important for me to try and get through as much as I can as quickly as possible, so I'm not keeping all of y'all waiting. Uh, so, no beans tonight, and no side karaoke tonight, but of course, I'm going to bank those. Um, we've already got one banked from the hype train earlier today. Uh, we've got a side karaoke on the books for our next official, I mean, premiere of, uh, of book four. I think that'll be a pretty good time, don't you? Uh, and I'll, if, if there's another one on that night, I will do the same thing. Uh, I will I will bank it, and we'll do we'll do two. Uh, I'll continue to bank these and uh, move them forward as we as we record. Um, so I'm trying to charge through these as quickly as possible, y'all. I hope you have a good one. Uh, Memnite says no beans, and I missed the hype. Just delayed beans and delayed side karaoke, but they're still there. I believe the the uh, the hype train is like it's it's charged up again. There's a delay on there that I don't think I can I, I can make it longer. I don't think I can make it any shorter. Uh, but there's a delay on there, and that is it is now back to back to normal. It's reset. Uh, but I really appreciate the one from earlier. And now let's talk a bit about the chapter because y'all know what we do here, right? Chatterbreak question. We are we are at the very end of this book. This is the second book in the series, and now we are starting to see sort of what the overall plan is. Uh, and so I think, although we're not going to have as much time to discuss it right now, because, well, I've been streaming for three hours already, and we've got another chapter yet to go. Um, we're, we're, we're hitting, let's see, you know what, let's find the precise number. Not including moments where I've had to go back and reread. Tonight, I will have read, once we're done with this, 25,752 words. Holy whoa. <laughs> Memnite with 10 gift subs. Thank you a ton. I think three different people have to jump in before it's a hype train, but I certainly appreciate you. You got one in Mama Cass. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, yeah, Memnite, thank you a ton for that. I appreciate you an awful lot. And Dahlia giving out one as well. That's two. It's giving me a warning right now that a hype train is close. Uh, it says sub, gift, or use bits to start a hype train. And uh, if y'all do and you get it to 200% uh, of level five again, you can bet yourself uh, I am going to be... <laughs> I'm going to be back at it uh, with another side karaoke that will bank for, for one of our upcoming streams. And there it is, folks. Plague Deity with the community sub gift. Thank you a ton. But uh, yeah, Memnite with 10 community subs. That's huge. Yeah, it looks like Frizz and Halfbit are both on there as well. So thank you a bunch, Memnite. Dropping, dropping another 500. Hype Train, the sequel. Hype Train, the squeakquel. Back with a vengeance. <laughs> back with boots on. <laughs> Memnite with another 500. Kerfos not to be outdone with another 500 bits. Y'all, this is wild. Y'all goofballs. This was not supposed to be... This was like... I, I came in today thinking like... Ooh, boy. Uh, if, I can, if I can keep people interested in the channel at all after these streams, I'm not sure how I'm going to manage it. And yet, 
here you all are. So <laughs> Dahlia with 500, Kerfos with 500, Memnite with 500, and that's on the tails of Plague Deity, uh, and Dahlia and a huge one from Memnite, a bunch of gift subs. Y'all, thank you a ton. We're already at level five. Level five has already arrived. We're at we're at 7% of level five already with four and a half minutes to go. And I'm telling y'all, I appreciate it a million. I have got a feeling I'm going to be singing at minimum two side karaoke songs on an upcoming stream. But uh, we shall find out, certainly. Um, y'all, if you would like to hear me sing whatever song y'all vote for as whichever character y'all vote for, uh, you can contribute here. This is as a thank you. Um, the, the side karaoke as a, as a thank you for all of you being so incredibly generous. I don't want to beat it to death, but you know, this is a type of support that other types of support can't really do the same thing. You know what I mean? This type of support is the stuff that uh, gives me time to edit. Uh, it's the reason why, like I, I had a conversation recently with my bosses and they were saying, you know what, why don't you come on for another day a week and uh, we will, we'll get you over here. And I was able to tell them gratefully, like from the bottom of my heart, gratefully, actually, Sidecar Stories is doing really well, and right now I've got sort of basically the time that I I, I can dedicate uh, is allowing me to just, just like skate by with this, and so y'all are the reason why that is true. Um, y'all are the reason why I'm able to do this and to dedicate the time to the editing and to streaming three different days a week, and so if y'all are enjoying this, you are the reason why it continues. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. Uh, Dahlia with uh, 200 and then another 35 bits. Thank you a ton. And Gwendog getting in there. Gwendog. <laughs> Y'all are fantastic. I will tell you that. And uh, uh, every every one of the bits uh, counts toward this. Uh, every every uh, sub counts toward this. I think the the like the cut is a little better on bits versus versus subs. But hey, the subs are going to other people, and those other people are going to definitely be thankful that uh, you know they're they're in the in the the circle of subs. Um, y'all, y'all are fantastic. <laughs> Thirty-two percent of uh, level five, and like I said, we started it a while ago because y'all got to two hundred percent. I was like, well, I can't just do nothing in response to that. And it would appear that Memnite has decided. <laughs> Memnite has decided. You want the crown back. I see. I see, Memnite. Memnite with 5,000 bits. <laughs> Memnite dropping big ones. Oh, it's, all, it's at 199%. <laughs> you got 1% left. You've got two minutes, but there's, there is, you've got 1% left of the hype train. Uh, yeah, y'all, y'all just like blew my mind one night, and I was so thankful. I wanted to do side karaoke, and y'all enjoyed that quite a bit. So it is a tradition now, uh, because I mean, I, I can't tell y'all how much I appreciate it every time we do this. Um, you are you are the reason why sidecar continues to exist, not just side karaoke. So thank you all very very much. Indeed, and and Memnite says, you know what? Another another two thousand bits should should push it over the edge. Gwen Dog says he's got to make up for lost time. Yeah, and I, I said it before, um, not on this stream, but, uh, you know, since Thursday nights are kind of like the big night typically with Memnite, although back in the back in the uh, Chat Plays Dungeon World days, that was certainly there. Fabriella, have a great night. Um, and I saw Plague Deity had to step out as well. Have an excellent night, Plague Deity. Thank you for being here. Dahlia says, what do we get for three, 300%? I mean, you're right there. 
Oh, I don't know. I tell you what, I'll count that as like another another 100% of level 5. So next week if or or later on tonight even if you get to like 100% of level 5, I'll count it toward that. <laughs> Hello queen. How do you do? Good to have you here. <laughs> You've only got 30 seconds. So if you hit if you hit 300%, I will count that as 100% toward uh toward another one. So, uh Kerfos, thank you very very much for the bits. I appreciate you. Y'all uh, I mean, so this is already another side karaoke added on. But if you get 300%, I'll count that as 100% toward the other one. If you hit 400%, like like maniacs, I will just add on a full other, a full other side karaoke. I'm gonna stop it there though, because I mean, you've got <laughs> you got 12 seconds. Actually, I guess I won't stop it there. You've only got 12 seconds, so good luck to you. But uh, 300%, that that's 100% just waiting for you. So next time you hit level five, next time you hit level five. You'll need to hit hit 100% as opposed to a full 200% of it. So 300% of Hype Train level 5. I think that is the hardest y'all have ever gone in one Hype Train. I don't know if it's the hardest y'all have ever gone in one stream, but it's definitely the hardest y'all have ever gone in one Hype Train. Because uh, we, we had a big, big stream. It was the first stream that we did the side karaoke for. It was an enormous one. So yeah, Gwendog, I don't think I've ever seen 300% of a Hype Train either. Y'all... Thank you a ton for being here. Uh, Queen, welcome to the show. You caught us at an odd time. You caught us at an odd time. I guess I'm just gonna mix and match my syllables like it's a like a like a two-year-old playing with Legos. Kerfos, thank you for the extra bits. I appreciate you topping it off. And uh, Dahlia, I think, swinging in there at the very end uh, with, uh, with a couple of community subs. Y'all, I am terribly thankful to you. Uh, Queen, you have ducked in at a very strange time. We are in the middle of catching up with some old episodes. These maniacs have decided to make this um, a, a, a crazy hype train night as well, which means that y'all have like two and a half side karaoke's inbound when we've got when we're back to our regular schedule. But uh, for right now, we are trying to catch up on some old streams. No beans tonight. No side karaoke. But I am holding on to those. I promise you for. Uh, when we are back to our regularly scheduled programming, so I'll keep track of the beans. We've got two hype. We got two side karaoke's, <laughs> uh, plus a hundred percent toward toward uh, the next level five. So that one only needs to get to to a hundred percent as opposed to two hundred percent like usual. So. Memnite, Memnite has, has Memnite is back to uh, to get the crown, and by crown, I don't know if it's usually a crown. Do you do you prefer Memnite, the the sort of motif of the the dignified conductor's hat, nice and big, nice and puffy, with a nice little short cap in front of it? <laughs> Dali says, "Congrats to everyone for participating in the largest ever hype train on Sidecar Stories. Thank you so much for helping to keep this crazy ride going strong. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, a huge thanks to Memnite, who I think is back on top. You certainly got your badge in front of you, don't you? Got the current hype train conductor, and uh, yeah, you're a, Memnite's a big deal around these parts. <laughs> you had some folks giving you a run for your money, but you are back with a vengeance. All right, folks. Without any further ado." Let's get on to our final chapter for the night. Now, this one really is going to be the last one. We read two random ones from over on uh, over in book five of Harry Potter. Now, two from the end of book two of Percy Jackson. Frankly, my mouth has not melted into a weird puddle uh, of like old like chewing gum, which is sort of how I imagined I would be at this point. But we're doing all right. My voice is a little it's a little rusty, but certainly not creaking yet. 
So let me make sure to hydrate properly, and we are going to head on in to our next chapter for the evening. I want you all to think about, as we uh, proceed through these, uh, a bit of a chatterbreak question, which I'm not sure I got to at the beginning there. A bit of a chatterbreak question, and that is, when we are, uh, when we're progressing through this, the the plans that Kronos has been making, uh, of course, this is a retroactive one. Y'all who are currently in chat are probably going to know about this plenty already, but y'all, what are Cronus's plans and how do they involve Percy? And more importantly, I'll add on to this chatterbreak question. That's right, a two-tier one, like a wedding cake. How is Percy's life going to change based on the plans that Kronos has for him? Like I said, y'all are going to know a lot about that one already, but of course, many of you are going to be listening to this uh, in the recording series. So it's only the, that's, that, is a, that is a warning for only the 22 of you is, careful about spoilers. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Chapter 20. The magic fleece works its magic too well. That afternoon was one of the happiest I'd ever spent at camp. Which maybe goes to show, you never know when your world is about to be rocked to pieces. Grover announced he'd be able to spend the rest of the summer with us before pursuing his quest for Pan. His bosses at the Council of Cloven Elders were so impressed he hadn't gotten himself killed and had cleared away for future... The His bosses at the Council of Cloven Elders were so impressed that he hadn't gotten himself killed and had cleared the way for future searchers that they granted him a two-month furlough and a set of new reed pipes. The only bad news? Grover insisted on playing those pipes all afternoon long, and his musical skills hadn't improved much. He played YMCA, and the strawberry plants started growing crazy, wrapping around our feet like they were trying to strangle us. I guess I couldn't blame them. Grover told me he could dissolve the empathy link, empathy link between us. There it is. There it is, that old chewing gum that I got for a face right now. Uh, I would anticipate I'm like, I'm probably about... I'm, I'm approaching 20,000 words right now, and we're trying to hit 25,000 for the evening. Our most ever. This is going to be a record night for a number of reasons. <laughs> Grover told me he could dissolve the empathy link between us, now that we were face to face, but I told him I'd as soon keep it, if that were okay with him. He put on his reed pipes and stared at me. But if I get in trouble again, you'll be in danger, Percy. You could die. If you get in trouble again, I want to know about it. And I'm coming to help you again, G-Man. I wouldn't have it any other way. In the end, he agreed not to break the link. He went back to playing YMCA for the strawberry plants. I didn't need an empathy link with the plants to know how they felt about it. Later on, during archery class, Chiron pulled me aside and told me he'd fixed my problems with Meriwether Prep. The school no longer blamed me for destroying their gymnasium. The police were no longer looking for me. How'd you manage that? I asked. Chiron's eyes twinkled. I merely suggested that mortals had seen something different on that day. A furnace explosion that was not your fault. You just said that and they bought it? I manipulated the mist. Someday, when you're ready, I'll show you how it's done. You mean I can go back to Meriwether next year? 
Chiron raised his eyebrows. Oh, no, they've still expelled you. Your headmaster, Mr. Banzai, said you had, how had he put it, some ungroovy karma that disrupted the school's educational aura. But you're not in any legal trouble, which was a relief to your mother. Oh, and speaking of your mother. He unclipped his cell phone from his quiver and handed it to me. It's high time you called her. The worst part was the beginning. The, Bertie Jackson, what were you thinking? You had any idea? Oh, boy. Oh, boy, baby. The, Bertie Jackson, if you got any idea what you were doing? Oh, I... <laughs> this ain't gonna work. It's no good. The, Bertie Jackson, what were you thinking? Do you have any idea how worried I was sneaking off to camp without permission, going on dangerous quests, scaring me half to death? Part. But she finally paused to catch her breath. Oh, I'm just so glad you're safe. That's the great thing about my mom. She's no good at staying angry. She tries, but it's just not in her nature. I'm sorry, Mom, I told her. I won't scare you again. Don't promise me that, Percy. You know very well it's only going to get worse. She tried to sound casual about it, but I could tell she was pretty shaken up. I wanted to say something to make her feel better, but I knew she was right. Being half-blood, I would always be doing things that scared her. And as I got older, the dangers would just get greater. I could uh, come home for a while, I offered. No, no, stay at camp. Train, do what you need to do. But you will come home for the next school year? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, if there's any school that'll take me, uh, we'll find something, dear. My mother sighed. Uh, some place where they don't know us yet. As for Tyson, the campers treated him like a hero. I would have been happy to have him as my cabin mate forever, but that evening, as we were sitting around in a sand dune overlooking the Long Island Sound, he made an announcement that completely took me by surprise. Dream hmm, came from Daddy last night, he said. Hmm. He wants me to visit. I wondered if he was kidding, but Tyson didn't really know how to kid. Poseidon sent you a dream message? Tyson nodded. Mm, wants me to go underwater for the rest of the summer. Hmm. Hmm. Learn to work at Cyclops Forges. He called it an inter... Hmm. An... Inter... Hmm... An internship? Yes. I let that sink in. I admitted I felt a little jealous. I'll admit, I felt a little jealous. Poseidon had never invited me underwater. But then I thought, Tyson was going? Just like that? When will you leave? He, I asked. No. Hmm. Now? Now? Like, right now? Hmm. Now. I stared out at the waves of the Long Island Sound. The water was glistening red in the sunset. Um, I'm happy for you, big guy. I managed. Seriously. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Hard to leave my new brother. 
Hmm, he said with a tremble in his voice. But I want to make things. Hmm, weapons for the camp. You will need them. Unfortunately, I knew he was right. The fleece hadn't solved all the camp's problems. Luke was still out there, gathering an army aboard the Princess Andromeda. Kronos was still reforming in his golden coffin. Eventually, we would have to fight them. You'll make the best weapons ever, I told Tyson. I held up my watch proudly. I bet they'll tell good time, too. Tyson sniffled. Hmm. Hmm. Brothers help each other. You're my brother, I said. No doubt about it. He patted me on the back so hard he almost knocked me down the sand dune. Then he wiped a tear from his cheek and stood to go. Use the shield well. I will, big guy. Save your life someday. Mm. The way he said it, so matter-of-fact, I wondered if that cyclops eye of his could see into the future. We headed down to the beach, and he whistled. Rainbow, the hippocampus, burst out of the waves. I watched the two of them ride off together to the realm of Poseidon. Once they were gone, I looked down at my new wristwatch. I pressed the button, and the shield spiraled out into full size. Hammered into the bronze were pictures in ancient Greek style, scenes from our adventures this summer. There was Annabeth slaying a Lestragonian dodgeball player, me fighting the bronze bulls on Half-Blood Hill, Tyson riding rainbow toward the Princess Andromeda, the CSS Birmingham blasting its cannons at Charybdis. I ran my hand across a picture of Tyson, battling the hydras, he held aloft a bottle of... I ran my hand across a picture of Tyson, battling the Hydra as he held aloft a box of monster donuts. I couldn't help feeling sad. I knew Tyson would have an awesome time under the ocean, but I'd miss everything about him. His fascination with horses, the way he could fix chariots or crumple metal with his bare hands or tie bad guys into knots. I even miss him snoring like an earthquake in the next bunk all night. Hey, Percy. I turned. Annabeth and Grover were standing at the top of the sand dune. I guess maybe I had some sand in my eyes because I was blinking a lot. Tyson, I told them. He had to, um... We know, Annabeth said softly. Chiron told us. Cyclopes forges, Grover shuddered. I hear the cafeteria food that is terrible, like no enchiladas at all. Annabeth held out her hand. Come on, seaweed brain. Time for dinner. We walked back toward the pavilion together. Just the three of us, like old times. A storm raged that night, but it parted around Camp Half-Blood, as storms usually did. Lightning flashed against the horizon. Waves pounded the shore, but not a drop fell onto our valley. We were protected again, thanks to the fleece, sealed inside our magical borders. 
Still, my dreams were restless. I heard Kronos taunting me from the depths of Tartarus. Polyphemus sits blindly in his cave. Oh, 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 how did I miss this? We got a voice going on. Hold on, we've got a voice here. Just a moment. Where is it? Which one did I use? This one. Polyphemus sits blindly in his cave, young hero, believing he has won a great victory. Are you any less deluded? The titan's cold laughter filled the darkness. Then my dreams changed. I was following Tyson to the bottom of the sea, into the court of Poseidon. It was a radiant hall filled with blue light, the floor cobbled with pearls. And there, on a throne of coral, sat my father, dressed like a simple fisherman in khaki shorts and a sun-bleached t-shirt. I looked up into his tan, weathered face, his deep green eyes, and he spoke two words. Brace yourself. I woke with a start. There was a banging on the door. Grover flew inside without waiting for permission. Percy! He stammered. Annabeth! On the hill! She... The look in his eyes told me something was terribly wrong. Annabeth had been on guard duty that night, protecting the fleece. If something had happened. I ripped off the covers, my blood like ice in my veins. I threw on some clothes while Grover tried to make complete sentences, but he was too stunned, too out of breath. She's lying there, just lying there. I ran outside and raced across the central yard, Grover right behind me. Dawn was almost breaking. But the whole camp seemed to be stirring. Word was spreading. Something huge had happened. A few campers had already started to make their way toward the hill. Satyrs and nymphs and heroes in a weird mix of armor and pajamas. I heard the clop of horse hooves, and Chiron galloped along beside us, looking grim. Is it true? Oh. Is it true? He asked Grover. Grover could only nod his expression dazed. I tried to ask what was going on, but Chiron grabbed me by the arm and effortlessly lifted me onto his back. Together we thundered up Half-Blood Hill, where a small crowd had started to gather. I expected to see the fleece missing from the pine tree, but it was still there, glittering in the first light of dawn. The storm had broken, and the sky was blood-red. Curse the Titan Lord, Chiron said. He's tricked us again, giving himself another chance to control the prophecy. What do you mean? I asked. The fleece, he said. The fleece did its work too well. We galloped forward, moving everyone out of our way. There, at the base of a tree, a girl was lying unconscious. Another girl in Greek armor was kneeling next to her. Blood roared in my ears. I couldn't think straight. Annabeth had been attacked, but why was the fleece still there? The tree itself looked perfectly fine, 
whole and healthy, suffused with the essence of the golden fleece. It healed the tree, Chiron said, his voice ragged. And poison was not the only thing it purged. Then I realized. Annabeth wasn't the one lying on the ground. She was the one in armor, kneeling next to the unconscious girl. When Annabeth saw us, she ran to Chiron. It... she... just suddenly there... Her eyes were streaming with tears, but I couldn't understand. I was too freaked out to make sense of it all. I leapt off Chiron's back and ran toward the unconscious girl. Chiron said, Percy, wait! I knelt by her side. She had short black hair and freckles across her nose. She was built like a long-distance runner, lithe and strong, and she wore clothes that were somewhere between punk and goth. A black t-shirt, black tattered jeans, and a leather jacket with buttons from a bunch of bands I'd never heard of. She wasn't a camper. I didn't recognize any of... She wasn't a camper. I didn't recognize her from any of the cabins. And yet, I still had the strangest feeling I'd seen her before. It's true, Grover said, panting from his run up the hill. I can't believe... Nobody else came close to the girl. I put my hand on her forehead. Her skin was cold, but my fingertips tingled as though they were burning. She needs nectar and ambrosia, I said. She was clearly a half-blood, whether she was a camper or not. I could sense that just from one touch. I didn't understand why everyone was acting so scared. I took her by the shoulders and lifted her into a sitting position, raising her head onto my shoulder. Come on! I yelled to the others. What's wrong with you people? Let's, let's get it to the big house! No one moved. Not even Chiron. They were all too stunned. Then the girl took a shaky breath. She coughed and opened her eyes. Her irises were startlingly blue. Electric blue. The girl stared at me in bewilderment, shivering and wild-eyed. Who? I'm Percy, I said. You're safe now. Strangest dream. It's okay. Dying? No, I assured her. You're okay. What's your name? And that's when I knew. Even before she said it. The girl's blue eyes stared into mine, and I understood what the Golden Fleece quest had been about. The poisoning of the tree. Everything. Cronus had done it to bring another chess piece into play. Another chance to control the prophecy. Even Chiron, Annabeth, and Grover, who should have been celebrating at this moment, were too shocked, thinking about what it might mean for the future. And I was holding someone who was destined to be my best friend, or possibly my worst enemy. I'm Talia, the girl said, daughter of Zeus.
And that, folks, is the end of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Sea of Monsters. The plan becomes clear. Indeed, the fleece is not just something that Grover stumbled upon. The poisoning of the tree was not just an attempt to weaken the camp. No, remember the prophecy. Before their 16th birthday, one of the half-bloods, one, one of the children of the big three, is going to either be the defender of Olympus or its downfall. Percy was the only person that could have been until just now. There we go, folks. How do you think? <laughs> what do you think, y'all? Rose says, I was talking to my kiddo who had a stomach bug who was sick overnight, and I completely missed the context, but on my screen... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Look, somebody ducked in with a very, very funny username. And uh, this, these are... on Flying Sidecar is a family-friendly stream, so I'm not going to say it out loud. But, I mean, you're not wrong. It is a very funny name. So... Queen, thank you for coming in. Good to have you here. <laughs> Although, I will say, that sounds a lot like Bean Queen, so I've got to wonder if that's like, uh, I don't know, is this, is this somebody's alt account who they've brought in to, to punk us? I mean, we already know y'all are a bunch of punks, so we shall see. Gwendog says, so did Kronos make this happen, or was the fleece just that great? Um, Kronos orchestrated it. Uh, he sort of put the pieces in the right places, but... It's the fleece itself that actually performed the magic. It was the fleece itself that actually brought Talia out of the tree. It is so good at sort of healing nature, it done healed the girl right out the tree. <laughs> uh, so that is, that was the plan. Um, to poison the tree, not just to weaken the camp, not just to weaken its protections, but specifically so that Grover's new lead regarding the fleece would come to fruition so that they would go get the fleece, they would bring the fleece back here, and specifically so that the fleece would would uh, evict Talia from this tree, which brings a new person, a new person with their own temptations, with their own flaws, their own weaknesses. As a matter of fact, their own core weakness, their own fatal flaw, which we're going to talk about a whole lot more as these books go on. But uh, as, a, as a mention of this genre in general, you know, exploiting this this idea, this motif that often appears in uh, especially Greek mythology, this idea of a fatal flaw, it is a way to explore a single facet of a personality, whether it's it's pride or whether it's um, uh, uh, see now pride's the big one, and now my mind is blanking. I've just done more than twenty-five thousand words in a night. We'll see if I can keep it together for just a little bit more, even though we're done reading for the night. I will tell you that much. Done reading. No beans tonight. I'm banking those for a future stream. No side karaoke tonight. I'm banking two and a half of those already for a future stream. You maniacs, you runk puffians. Um, but. These fatal flaws are, they come up often, uh, whether it is uh, dedication to other people, you know, a service, uh, whether it's a vice that you have, whether it is uh, cowardice, whether it is pride, maybe it's maybe it's the opposite of cowardice, maybe it's it's you are just totally foolhardy, a little like Clarice, we can imagine that's probably Clarice's um, uh, um, fatal flaw. But this is a really interesting way, and we've talked about like why it's fun to do literary analysis, because it's fun to see that 
that the author here is flipping this thing on its head. Instead of, instead of these fatal flaws being sort of this, this big thing that is going to uh, bring down this one particular hero, now they're even more important. The author has taken this idea of this fatal flaw and said, you know what? These fatal flaws, these are, I mean, these are interesting ways to manipulate people. And so now, what if the big plan was to add in another person that could feasibly be manipulated? It's a, it is a heck of a plan on Kronos' part, and I am very glad that y'all have joined me for this adventure. There's a little bit of discussion of genre, if you're wondering where to file this discussion. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think this, this is a common motif in, in this genre, is the discussion of the fatal flaw. But Rick has taken it to a higher level, and the reason I am calling him Rick and the author is because I don't want to say his last name, because the moment I do, I'll know that it's wrong. And I'm very, very anxious about it. Y'all, thank you so, so much for joining me tonight. What a weird little evening we've had here. Uh, Fabriella and Jade Dragon, I see you over in Discord. Uh, let's see who else is listening in over on Discord. Dahlia, Lauren, Deathwolf Dark, Deb, Sylvan, Lit Addict, uh, MMP, and Fabriella. Thank you very, very much for joining me here. Um, that is going to be it for me tonight. Uh, and a long night it was indeed. My name is Sam. There we go. Here we go. I'm, I'm getting into my spiel stuff. Let me turn into a robot for just a second. My name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. I stream Tuesdays through Thursdays. On Tuesdays, you can find us reading classic literature. Right now, we are just getting into <laughs> Murder on the Orient Express. It's been a ton of fun so far. On Wednesdays, we're doing world building during our Spout Lore sessions for the Realm of Recidus. And finally, on Thursday, y'all know what it is. Flying Sidecar, a voice actor's adventures through some stories that we all love, and uh, a sneaky little introduction to literary analysis. I'm going to get y'all yet! Y'all can find me here on Thursdays doing this same thing. Uh, I would say next week is going to be yet another um, catch-up stream. I've got some... Uh, this, I believe, is the last... Uh, no, duh, obviously it's not. Um, we're going to be reading some early book three Percy Jackson next week to get uh, fully caught up there. Um, and then finally... Uh, we may take a third week uh, to catch up on some of those old episodes that aren't missing, but they are just terrible, such as, if you all remember, the episode with the Death Day Party, because my voice sounds down here like this, and also, uh, it, it, it just, it, it weighs. So, catch me outside for that, I guess. I don't know. That was, that seemed like, I guess, maybe an appropriate point for the, for the meme. I do memes too, kids. It's not just they ain't just all sort of nerd stuff. You come on in here, we can do we can talk about memes. I'll talk about memes with all the all the youths. <laughs> Memnite says is the next hype train unlocked. Um I not a third one, no. I, it's unfortunately the timer has not run out. I don't believe. I don't think so. Um <laughs> So I don't think you can catch us for a third one, Memnite, in spite of your trying. But y'all, I appreciate you dearly. Memnite, if you are anxious about it, if you are anxious to, to get back in there, I would encourage you to head over to Patreon. Uh, Patreon is where I am doing really the 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 big push for all of this, and uh, it is where like it is where I'm trying to sort of make as much benefit as possible. Now I recognize it's been slow right now. Some of the new like the I've not been making a lot of new videos for it. I've been using all that time. I've been dedicating that time to getting the back catalog edited up and ready to go. Um, but I promise you, I'm going to be back at that soon as I possibly can. Um, and I thank you all, all of you patrons who sort of understand what I'm going for with Patreon, which is not necessarily to say like, okay, I'll do the, the regular streaming over here and then here's some extra stuff that's just for patrons, right? 
I really appreciate all of you who have who have sort of understood the mission there and to say that y'all are my partners in helping to make this, helping to make what we already make, making it for everyone. So, y'all are glorious. I really appreciate you. Uh, Gwen Dog, Memnite, Cobra, Sparkle Lovegood, uh, Big Mama, Orly Rose. Um, y'all, thank you very, very much. Gwen Dog, let's see, Memnite, Sander, Sander might have ducked out at this point. It is possible. Um, thank you, by the way, very much to the mod team. I appreciate you. Um, haven't had anything big going on necessarily, like nothing huge, but uh, thank you so much, by the way, to our archivists, everyone who participated in that. Um, I'm going to be scouring back through to make sure I've got all the names of those because you are going to be credited in the edits, like in the in the uh, the descriptions of all of these episodes that I've now got up on Spotify and such because straight up, my archives were not in good shape. Uh, I was missing a lot more than I realized. So those would not be online without you. Um, and thank you very much to the, the mod team. Thank you very much to the pit crew. Um, Dahlia, Sander, and Gems, y'all have been like on top of it. So thank you all very much. I appreciate you. And everybody else, I will see you all later on. Bye, folks. I'll see you next week. Tuesday through Thursday. Going to be another weird one next week. And if you want to find out more about the channel, follow these links popping up in chat now. Linktree slash sidecar stories. L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash sidecar stories. And have a fantastic night.